is this the life we want to be living? Is this the life we want for our kids, for ourselves, for the planet? Um, and so we were able to kind of, you know, make changes. And then ultimately we, a couple years after that, we ended up moving closer to downtown, closer to my husband's work and the things that we were doing. Um, you know, we just felt like we could make a life in a different neighborhood where we didn't have to be as car dependent. Um, and so that was a big change for us. And that was a change we made when we had young kids that not of all of our peers, I think, totally understood. <laughs> You're listening to the Maximum Enthusiasm Podcast, the exploration of life fully optimized with Megan Hodman. listeners, we are really excited to announce that we've got a new sponsor for the show, Crafted Energy. Crafted Energy is the first and only functional energy bar specifically built for cyclists. Each plant-based and clean label ingredient was chosen to support the unique nutritional needs of cyclists. They also make a bar specifically for runners and a bar specifically for climbers. Their bars not only focus on quick and sustained energy, but also include ingredients that naturally fight muscle soreness. Our listeners get 10% off their total purchase using Hotman as a promo code at checkout. Visit craftedenergy.com to learn more about their functional energy. That's crafted, C-R-A-F-T-E-D, energy.com. And the code is spelled Hotman, H-O-T-T-M-A-N. I found these bars a while back. They are made in Phoenix, Arizona, and I personally really love them, really enjoy them. They've got some brand new packaging that makes the bars a perfect fit for the back of a cycling jersey, and they taste amazing. I also love the fact that they don't get all melty and gross in the wrappers when you're out trying to eat them on a bike ride or a run. So I hope that you'll check them out, take advantage of their discount, and we are so excited to have them on board as a new sponsor. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Maximum Enthusiasm podcast. I am really excited these next few shows to be digging into topics around the environment, sustainability, climate change. It just so happened the way that these uh, guests of mine recently have all been around this topic, cycling and transportation alternatives and just reasons to be hopeful and optimistic, all tend to sort of really be be based around the environment and changes that we can all make and ways that we can all try to be part of this bigger solution. And this week's guest is no exception. Uh, My friend and fellow bike ambassador, fellow Denver resident, Melissa Colono, also known as Deliberate Less. Um, Her website is deliberate.less, as well as her Instagram handle is that same thing, same phrase, deliberate less. She is the mother of three kids, family of five. She makes very intentional, very conscious choices about all the things, transportation, food choices, um, shopping decisions for she and her family. 
And I've just been following her online for a period of time and then got to know her a little bit better in 2021 when she was a member of our bike ambassador team. She has this amazing cargo bike with like a big tub on the front where she puts her three kids and just the photos that she posts on Instagram are just so awesome. Showing her riding her kids to school, even in inclement weather, even on snow days, it's just so inspiring. And uh, her talk this week really came at a great time for me. I went on a long hike a couple days ago and I listened to um, one of the main podcasts that I tend to tune into, which is the Rich Roll podcast. And he had oceanographer Sylvia Earle on his show. She is in her 80s now and she talks about her many, many years of work in the oceans and why we all need to care immediately about what's happening to our oceans and how it affects all of us. Um, and it was just a really powerful, very long podcast. I listened to it for the duration of my seven mile hike. And I found it um, sort of leaving feelings of, uh, of conflicting sensations in me, both feelings of hope and optimism and conviction that we can all do immediate things now to make things better, um, not just in the oceans, but for our climate overall. And uh, the other conflicting parts of just sort of despair and sadness and just how far we humans have gone the wrong direction in our consumption mindsets and just, um, you know, lack of empathy for animals and the way that we just consume um, Mother Nature's resources and these amazing places and spaces, the way that we just sort of bleed them dry um, until until they are unfortunately dead, like the coral reef, you know, 50% of which is is dead, and redwood forests and Amazon forests. And so anyway, that, that podcast just really left an impression on me, and I was really excited to talk to Melissa this week and get a closer look at how she and her husband run their household and parent their three children with their very environmental focused uh, approaches to things. So I found her suggestions and ideas really um, helpful, but also very finite and specific and workable and doable and things that we can take some really immediate action on. I, I very much appreciate her stance on buying secondhand I wish that I could say that I only shopped secondhand the way that she and her family do. I'm definitely moving that direction and have been very intentional about um, using Patagonia's worn wear program to turn in clothes that I don't wear or that don't fit um, or that are just in my closet, um, turning those into the worn wear program and then using those credits to basically roll three or four garments into one worn item through their worn wear purchase program. I've also wanted to, to uh, take Melissa's suggestion to both shop as well as sell to thread up and have recently checked out their website where they will send you a bag. You can mail in your clothing for consignment in their online uh, marketplace, but they have so much demand for people to send in used items that they said they're about 12 weeks out in processing, which totally blows my mind. As you'll gather, Melissa and I certainly share a um, common belief that the cars need to stay home more and people need to use their legs more frequently for transportation, whether it's walking or riding a bike. 
and really just intentionally choosing where we do our shopping and our money spending so that we can bring it in closer to home and eliminate as many of those short trips under five or 10 miles uh, as we possibly can. And of course, there's a lot that goes into these topics, but what I really appreciate about her and her discussion is how accessible she um, kept her recommendations. And certainly what I keep coming back to is that, you know, look, if a mom of three kids, if a family of five can do these things, then certainly someone like me who is not parenting and who doesn't run a large household, uh, you know, if they can do it, certainly I can do it. And I, I just really find her her example and her message so inspiring, so impactful. And I can't wait to read the Times article that she references. We will be sure to include that as well as the other links to the uh, recommendations that she makes in our show notes. So hopefully you can find those on the podcast platform that you are using. If not, go to MaximumEnthusiasm.com. That is the host website for all of our shows. You can click there for easy links get yourself over to Melissa's blog and some of these other great recommendations that she makes. So I hope you enjoy this show as much as I enjoyed talking to her. And um, I would love to hear in a comment either on Instagram or via the website. If there's something in the show that inspires or motivates you to make a change in your life, please report back and let us know what that was so that we can celebrate you and celebrate those small wins. Um, thanks for listening as always and have a great day. All right, Melissa Colano, Colono, 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 <laughs> Melissa Colono, welcome to the Maximum Enthusiasm podcast. Thank you. I'm excited to be here and to talk with you. Yeah, same. Um, I really appreciate you taking time to do this for our listeners' benefit. I just have to say at the very outset, you're a mom of three and you run a household of five and I can't wait to talk about all that, but I just sincerely appreciate you taking time. Yeah, thank you. Well, it's yeah, it's nice to talk to another adult and talk about things that are important to me and to my family. So I'm excited to do this. And that's exactly what we're going to talk about is the things that are so clearly important to you and that you do a really nice job sharing online. Um, your deliberate less is your Instagram handle. That's always been eye-catching to me. I think everything that I see about your life just signals intentionality you just seem very much on purpose, whether you're wearing a dress that you bought secondhand for Christmas or whether you're using thread up or whether you're buying ingredients in bulk, not only to save money, but to be as healthy as possible for your family. You guys use a giant cargo bike instead of a suburban to take your kids to school. I mean, give me the backdrop. How did this all come to be your life landscape? Yeah, great question. And something I definitely think about a lot. Um, given the name of my Instagram and my blog, you know, it's deliberate. And I like to make really deliberate and informed choices. Um, sometimes people think that it is deliberate, oh. um, which is <laughs> not how I intended it. But I do deliberate a lot on things and really think things through. Um, you know, I think some of it, like most of us, some of it comes from how I was raised. I was raised in a small town before Amazon where we couldn't really 
get, you know, we had all the things we needed, but we couldn't like go shopping at Target and buy tons of things that caught our eye. Um, so I think I grew up in a family where we were just intentional about our choices and the things that my parents bought us to, you know, live life where, you know, we got a good winter coat and that was our winter coat. Um, so some of it dates to my childhood, but I also think I I really had a, a moment or probably a prolonged moment after my first child was born. So she's nine um, now. And, you know, there's a whole parenting culture that kind of sweeps you up into it. And our society tells you, you need all these things and all these things are going to make your life easier. Um, and I got swept up into that a little bit, but then I think I was able to press pause and say, wait a second, do I need all these things to be a parent? Do my kids need all these things? And I've kind of just tried to continue that over the years of saying, what do we really need? What's really going to add value to our life? And what, you know, maybe we don't actually, you know, have to bother with. So you live in Denver now. Were you, you mentioned you were raised in a smaller town. Are you a Colorado native? I'm not, no. So I grew up in upstate New York, north of the Adirondacks. Um, my dad was a college professor. So I grew up in a small college town. Um, you know, education was really important to our family, but living where we did gave us an opportunity to do a lot of outdoor activities. So spent a lot of time outdoors as a kid. You know, my parents took us on hiking and camping trips, but I spent a lot of time just in my backyard playing with frogs and mud and whatever. <laughs> um, so yeah, small town girl. I went to college in Vermont, which kind of continued that outdoor vibe. Um, and then yeah, spent spend some time on the East Coast. Then before Denver, my husband and I lived in Seattle, and we were in Seattle for four years before my first daughter was born. Um, so I'm sure we'll get to it, but Seattle was the first city that I lived in, and it really shaped me a lot in terms of my biking and my views on city infrastructure. Um, and then moving to Denver kind of shook a lot of that up and made me think more about, you know, my own values and what I think is important for a city as well. Well, I mean, let's dig in there because I definitely, that is one of the parts I want to talk to you about is your work in the, not just bike advocacy space, but just sort of safer cities and safer streets for mobility options beyond being in cars. Um, I mentioned at the beginning that you have this awesome cargo bike with a big bucket on the front that you have all three kids in that you take them to school, even in the most ridiculous of weather. And I'm just so inspired by you. I mean, of course it would be easier to just throw all the kids in a, a vehicle and instead you make this very intentional choice. And then you're also on several committees and have been very active in the Denver city, um, you know, alternative transportation movements. So yeah, let's go back to where that shift happened. Did that start in college or was that Seattle where that first began? It, I would say it began in Seattle without me really realizing that it did. Um, like I said, I moved to Seattle in my early 20s, just 
married and moved there for grad school. And I'd never really lived in a city before. Um, I mean, not really. I had never lived in a city before. And so in a lot of ways, despite knowing that Seattle was a liberal city with a lot of progressive ideas, I kind of just thought that was what a city was like in terms of transportation. Um, Parking was very expensive everywhere. So we had, my husband and I had one car that we didn't use that much. We both would take the bus to school or work or bike. And if we were going to meet friends anywhere or go out to dinner, we would always take the bus or walk. Um, And again, it, it wasn't then it wasn't really an intentional like I want to save emissions so I'm going to take the bus. It was just the bus was convenient. It came every 10 minutes. It went where we needed to go. It we had bus passes provided by school and work. Um so that was just what everybody did and everybody biked if they you know were going somewhere along a bike trail and there were a lot of car-free bike trails through the city so you could get places without having to interact a lot with cars. Sure. I mean, when I think back, I was in my 20s and I didn't have kids and I wasn't as worried about like my own safety. <laughs> I mean, I've never been a crazy, you know, really crazy adrenaline seeking person, but I'm sure it wasn't like it was some idealistic, perfect bike infrastructure. Um but yeah, then then moving to to Denver, I have this very specific memory. We moved to West Highland and we were one block off of 32nd Ave, which is the main road that goes, you know, through this, you know, lovely neighborhood with commercial and residential areas. And my husband was working kind of near downtown and we'd only been here maybe a week or two and we asked them when we met, like, about the bus, like, hey, you ride the bus downtown or like, you know, just something about the bus. And this person, you know, a, kind of a peer to us was like, what? Bus? <laughs> like, like, they had no idea that there was a bus and they clearly never took the bus. <laughs> um and that kind of just kept repeating itself. Like I remember my husband tried to take the bus to work for a while. And then I think it was pretty inconvenient. It was expensive. And then there was free parking at his work. So it was like, uh-huh. why, why wouldn't he drive? Right, right. <laughs> and very soon after we moved to Denver, we bought a second car and and started, you know, driving around more. <laughs> yep. Um, and then, like I mentioned earlier, it was like we had this moment where we just were like, wait a second. Is this the life we want to be living? Is this the life we want for our kids, for ourselves, for the planet? Um, and so we were able to kind of, you know, make changes. And then ultimately, we a couple years after that, we ended up moving closer to downtown, closer to my husband's work and the things that we were doing. Um, you know, we just felt like we could make a life in a different neighborhood where we didn't have to be as car dependent. Um, and so that was a big change for us. And that was a change we made when we had young kids that not of all of our peers, 
I think totally understood. <laughs> yeah, I mean, typically the movement's the opposite direction, right? You see people having kids and they head to the burbs. And instead you guys said, no, we're going to move to an area where we can walk and ride bikes more and, and ultimately sell that second car. Right, right, exactly. So we had... Yeah, that first car we bought was a Toyota 4Runner, which I think felt like the ultimate Colorado car. And, you know, we enjoyed it. I think as far as cars go, I I liked it more than I like some cars. But yeah, then we sold it and great resale value on that totally. guy. So. <laughs> um, so now we're back to one car family. And yeah, we you know, the, the big change too is like to give my husband some credit, you know, he really wanted to be able to walk to work. I mean, he said, I'm going to this location every day. And that, you know, once it was clear that was going to be a long-term position for him, it was like, why would I spend all this time in the car commuting away from my family? And, you know, now where we live, he's often able to come home on lunch breaks and see me and spend time with the kids if they're around. And, you know, so we we feel like we like got a lot of life back. We got time back that we are not in a car commuting a longer distance. And and I recognize that's not something that everybody can do. and, And we're very privileged to have been able to make that life situation for ourselves. Um, But I do think that a lot more people can do things like that than actually do. You know, I think life, you can simplify your life in ways and make those choices. You know, a lot of people could do that more if that was their priority, I think. (laughs) Totally. Yeah. Well, and you're speaking to a larger point, which is just simply, we do tend to get sucked along in these societal norms where we are told things just have to be a certain way. Like you just have to commute to and from your job. That's just the American way. That's just mm-hmm. what we do. You have to get in your car and drive somewhere and battle traffic. Um, and so to be able to walk to work just sounds so, you know, impossible. And yet it's super doable as you guys are proving. And just the, the fact that you have a family of five with one car is so inspiring and it's possible because he's not using it every day to drive to and from work. And on the other hand, you're also using the cargo bike to take the kids to and from school. And, um, you know, can you speak to that? Can you speak to probably some of the resistance that you've always kind of run up against with these decisions that you've made and people I'm sure who don't understand or who are skeptical with these choices probably makes them uncomfortable because then they have to sort of revisit the choices that they're making. Sure. Yeah. And I think as you asked that question, it, it, sparked my memory of something you said a little bit earlier. Um, you were very being very kind and complimenting me about biking and different kinds of weather, you know, and I think you said maybe it'd be easier to throw the kids in the car. And I actually, I genuinely don't think it's easier always to drive. I think as any parent can tell you, car seats Oh, sure. Are a huge challenge. We just rearranged some car seats this past weekend to make sure they were at like the right settings for the kids and the weight. You know, the kids are always growing. So you've got to adjust. And and kids aren't supposed to wear winter gear, like thick winter gear coats in their car seats. So 
in the winter, you know, if it's cold, you've got to like take off their coats and then put their, anyway. <laughs> so a lot of times people will be like, you're so great. You bike. And I'm like, so much easier than the car. Like you just like put them in the bucket bike in their snowsuit. And like, um, but I think point. that, I can say that as someone who's done it for years, you know, obviously there's a learning curve and it doesn't register in our, you know, car dominated culture as necessarily easy. Um, but to go to your other question about like resistance I've run up against, like you and I keep saying, we live in this, this culture where it's just assumed that everyone has a car. Yep. And I find that to be really more prevalent in Denver than definitely than in Seattle. Um, you know, where I grew up in a small town, people had cars too, but you also could walk places. Yeah. Um, you know, I saw a statistic not long ago that said that one third of Americans don't drive, whether they're elderly or they're kids or they live in Manhattan and they don't want to drive, you know. We talk about it like everybody's driving everywhere, but that's a big portion of our country that doesn't drive. It's a great point. Um, but here in Denver, and especially when you have kids and you're doing activities or you're going to school, it's just expected that you're going to drive them places. Um, and my kids go to a wonderful school that's very environmentally minded and progressive about a lot of these issues. And a lot of people there, teachers and families alike bike. Oh, that's awesome. But it's still like, there's just still things that come up, field trips or, oh. you know, school's going to be at a different location and you just have to drive your kids. And it's, I mean, you could... Mm -hmm. I could say, no, we're not going to go because we can't, we're not going to drive. Um, and that's something, you know, that enters my mind, but I also don't want to deprive my kids of certain experiences. We definitely make choices as a family when it comes to activities for the kids um, about where things are located and how we're going to get there. And, and that is, you know, to be honest, that's becoming harder as they get older sure. and they have their own preferences about what they want to do. And, and frankly, they're getting bigger. So it's not as easy to just bike them everywhere <laughs> or sure. put them in a stroller. Um, so yeah, I think that, that, that it is, there is resistance and it's not intentional resistance necessarily. It's not people you know, trying to, to make my life difficult. <laughs> it's just, it's just the dominant culture we're in. And, and I struggle with that because I think it sometimes makes me feel, to be honest, like a bit like a weirdo. Like I'm <laughs> like this crazy mom who has to like, you know, won't drive. Um, I have, sometimes I'll show up somewhere in our car and we have a minivan now and people will be like, wow, you have a car. <laughs> like, of course, like, of course I have a car. I live in Denver. Like, yeah, it wouldn't work without a car. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So you're probably always just a little bit negotiating that. And 
I like also that you don't let, um, you know, your decision to be more bike forward or less car centric. You don't let it rule you. Like there are times and places where it makes more sense to use the car and you will. And it's, you know, it's a very fluid decision-making process. I love that you say the whole family kind of weighs in on those things. And I imagine it shapes what service providers, what yoga studios, what, you know, places you frequent where you spend your money just based on proximity, which I also love. I think there's a lot to be said for us getting to know our local business owners and, you know, establishing those relationships with people that are within our 10 mile radius, if you will. Um, So I'm curious just to kind of like cut down on some decision fatigue that I imagine factors into some of these decisions. Does your family any have any really hard, fast rules? Like this is something that we pretty much are guided by. Interesting. Um, we don't, I don't think we have any hard and fast rules when it comes to transportation or, you know, even some of the other environmental choices that we try to make for our family. Going back to the, you know, blog name, like I, I try to be really thoughtful about things. Um, but I also try to recognize the world in which we live you know, especially during the pandemic, there's been, you know, so many changes for all of us. And, you know, sometimes you just want to order takeout or (laughs) you want to, you know, go through the, I don't know, I was going to say go through the drive-through, but I really don't do that. (laughs) (laughs) Takeout. Somebody somebody needs that sometimes. And I get that. Um, (laughs) So I, I do, I do try to be gentle with myself and forgiving. I think I hold myself to high standards and, and when I have principles, I, I feel like I want to meet them. Um, I will say that whenever I'm debating between biking and driving somewhere and I choose to bike, I, I almost never regret it. I, I I feel like a lot of times if I drive instead of biking I'm, and I'll see the roads were fine or the weather's fine, I'm like, ah, yeah. why didn't I bike? <laughs> so, you know, we keep that in mind because I think even, even the kids, I think sometimes they'll be like, oh, can we just take the car? But being outside and that, like, the, the feedback your body gets from biking, I mean, you know, Megan, that... Mm-hmm you know, the sensation of the wind in your face, like it does real things to us physically and emotionally. And I just view that as like an overall positive for me and for my kids. Um, So I think we just try to keep those, you know, those ideas and those desires of how we want our life to be in the back of our mind, but also be forgiving with ourselves when we kind of fall into the you know, more dominant way of doing things. (laughs) Which, I mean, that's my observation of you is that you're very deliberate and intentional, but you're also practical. And we all have seen people take some aspect of any of the things we're talking about sort of to an extreme or where it becomes a very hard line where it's kind of a non-negotiable and then it can enter the realm of being impractical at times. And so I really just want to applaud you and appreciate that you're, um, analysis of these issues is very fluid, but that you're always driven by this very primary value in your life of doing the right thing for your family, for your health, for the environment. 
And I really see and hear that that kind of shapes all the decisions that the five of you make, which is really inspiring. It's super inspiring. And it goes well beyond the bike versus car decision. Just recently, I saw you posted where you buy a lot of your kitchen um, uh, food stock, really, uh, your essentials in bulk, because you are feeding a family of five. So you're also cost conscious. Um, but you know, you're, you're, you're very intentional that where you're buying from has as minimal amount of packaging as possible. Some of the packaging looked like it might be compostable to me. Um, it looked like you're using flowers and things that are more, um, heirloom or non-GMO. Um, so kind of take us through like the non-bike area of your life. You buy some, a lot of your clothing secondhand, um, you know, Yeah. Tell, tell me more about all of those things in your household. Sure. Yeah. You know, kind of environmentalism is like a broad umbrella, definitely guides a lot of my life choices. I, it's funny. I, I don't know. I, I would, there was a time I would not have just called myself an environmentalist. I think that I definitely started as someone who was really frugal. So I made a lot of choices based on that. I remember in my college years traveling abroad and like everyone was buying bottled water everywhere, even when in countries where the water was, you know, fine to drink. And I was just like, why would you buy water when it's free? (laughs) Um, But that's morphed into, you know, I think that 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 idea does lead into environmentalism and and this this overconsumption that we've gotten ourselves into as a society is this idea of convenience and having what you want exactly when you want it um and paying whatever for it and that kind of leads to excess which is then bad for the environment and right. bad for bad for the earth so that's getting us a little off track, but no, I think a lot of it started with, again, having kids. I made the choice with my first daughter to use cloth diapers, and that was, you know, again, to save money, but also, like, thinking about diapers and landfills gives me, you know, I can't sleep, but... um, But that can then translate to so many things, right? You don't need to buy disposable wipes. You don't need to buy, you know, then maybe you don't need to buy Kleenex. Maybe you don't need to buy paper towels, you know, just kind of, I think again, thinking about my choices and saying, well, I could use a towel for this. Yep. Um, So there was a time a few years ago when I got really into the kind of zero waste movement and being zero waste and not buying anything in packaging. Um, as I've learned more about the way that our consumption choices impact the environment, I've loosened up on that a lot, a, a bit, because a lot of times the impact of human activity is not just in the material waste. It's it's on the manufacturing end or you know, when you look at agriculture, you could get into all of that yep. with animal agriculture and the impact that has on on the earth. So I use those, you know, things I've learned, you know, we're constantly learning and evolving. So I learn, I use 
those lessons I've learned um, to guide a lot of my purchasing choices. Um, I still think that when we can cut back on packaging and plastic, especially, I try to do that wherever I can. Um, and like you said, with a family of five, we're we're eating a lot, so it yeah, it doesn't make sense to buy like a you know one pound bag of flour when I know that we're going to go through more of that, you know, so, so finding places where I can buy 25 pounds of flour or beans or rice. Um, And to that end, our, our family eats mostly vegan, vegetarian. um, And I feel like the choices of not buying dairy or meat or fish regularly. I mean, we don't really buy, we buy some cheese, but, um, not buying that stuff, you know, has a bigger impact on the earth than, um, you know, getting, I used to get milk in a glass bottle. Um, but, but we're always, I mean, I mean, that's, we're all learning all the time and, you know, the, the world is always changing and, that's, that can be really overwhelming. So I think, Absolutely. I think like we've touched on already, like bringing it back for me to, to what's best for my family and what feels the best for me in terms of my health and my, it's cheesy to say, but my happiness. <laughs> like Not I, cheesy, no. I think that, you know, back when I did cloth diapers, I think people would be like, oh, you're so good. You do cloth diapers. But I'm like, it's so much easier. You don't have to go to the store. Like, you don't like you just have them and then you wash them. You know, to me, that's easier. But I think we've been taught that it's easier to buy more stuff. Yeah. And I don't think buying more stuff is always easier. And I don't think it always makes us happier. So that's kind of a, a good thing to come back to, but not. It's not the messaging we're getting from the the outside world. Yeah. Yeah. The marketing uh, algorithms do their best to convince us that more is always better for sure. So you're kind of constantly butting up against that, if you will. And so it just sounds like you're really centered and your whole family is kind of on the same page I'm hearing, which helps because as a unit, you all are on the same page on these issues. And of course you've, you've kind of told your children how it's going to be, but as they get older, I'm sure they're developing their own beliefs and, and preferences. And so I would love to know as a non-parent what that's like for your three kids as they're getting older and they're starting to maybe have sleepovers at other people's houses, or they're starting to be exposed to the way other households are run. Um, you know, do they come home and say, you know, mom, I, I really wish we had steak more often or, um, and, and my assumption is you're also not a big um, sugar sweets person. I've gathered you're pretty like the food in your house is pretty clean, generally speaking. Um, you know, mom, I don't I don't want to rewear my winter jacket. My friend so and so gets a brand new jacket every six months or something. Just sort of what what do the kids make of all this? Because I know that I know that they're the ones that are inheriting the earth that we're giving them at this point. And they, I think, I feel like they're wide awake to it. Like they're fully woke. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it's obviously something we talk about. I talk a lot about in our house. So it's, it's something they're, you know, tuned into. They're used to me, you know, complaining about car traffic (laughs) 
or other things. Um, yeah, it's something I think about a lot as they get older. Like I mentioned, my oldest is nine, you know, nine and a half. So she definitely has her own preferences. Um, it's, it's, I do all, almost all my shopping is secondhand for clothing. Um, That's awesome. I mean, for most, for most things, you know, going back to what we were talking about before, the impact of, of any object is really on the manufacturing end. So once something yep. exists, it's, you know, it's always better to buy the thing that exists than to create something new, no matter how sustainable you're told it is. So we do pretty much all our shopping secondhand. And I try to like, you know, when you shop secondhand, you don't know what you're going to find. So I try to find things in advance and so a few years ago, I bought a really great pair of like Asics sneakers that I found at probably Goodwill. And at that time, I don't know, you know, my daughter was six or seven and like really into pink. So I got, they were like these pink Asics. They looked almost new. And I was like, awesome. And they were in a bigger size. And so then by the time they fit her, she was totally over the pink. <laughs> She wanted everything to be black or gray. Oh, shoot. And so we had this like, that was maybe one of the tensest moments we've had about all this because she was like, I don't want to wear them. They're pink. And I'm like, well, they're really good sneakers and they're your size and I'm not going to go buy a new pair. Right, right. So she kind of put them away and kept wearing the pair that was getting too small because she liked the color better. And then after a month or two, I think that that pair started pinching her a lot. And she went and got the pink ones from her closet and wore them. <laughs> so that's a, I mean, that's just a funny that's anecdote. A great story. But, but I think that they, we don't do that much shopping. Like we don't, I think others probably can relate to this too with the pandemic, but we don't, we don't go to, stores and say like oh you know you can pick out a bunch of stuff so for my kids at this point like going secondhand shopping is still a treat like they um and and like thread up you mentioned before you know as an online thrift store they can browse clothes and look for the styles they like um there's really so many ways now to shop secondhand Mm -hmm that I feel like you can still kind of give your kids that autonomy to, to pick what they want or to express themselves. Um, when it comes to the other aspects of our life, like food and zero waste, um, they're more on board with that kind of stuff. They, they will like sometimes joke about like, seeing a friend's lunch with a lot of packaging, uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, and that, that obviously provides an opportunity to, to talk about just, there's so many ways of doing things and there's so many ways to live life and, and you never know what someone else's life is really like. And, you know, life can be hard and maybe you just need to buy some packaged snacks yep. and that happens to me too. So you know, we have those conversations um, and we have conversations about meat and the impact. My my four-year-old is like obsessed with cheese 
and she just wants all the cheese all the time. <laughs> so, you know, we talk about that too. We talk about, you know, is cheese the best thing for our bodies? And, and is cheese what we want to be eating all the time? And how does cheese make us feel? So, oh, right on. You know, I think like with the most aspects of parenting, it's, it's a lot about the conversations. Um, I imagine in the teenage years, there's going to be <laughs> some more challenges, but you know, I, I hope that I'm instilling some values in them that they will carry with them as they grow up. Um, and I think like all of us, as we've become adults, we, we might rebel against those things our parents have taught us for a time. And then maybe we come back to them and maybe we decide some of them aren't what we want. And, and yeah, so it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting to see, to see where they go as they get older. Hopefully they bike places though. (laughs) For sure. Yeah. Well, and I have to say, I mean, it's just so powerful because what I imagine again, as a non-parent, just watching other people parent, um, is that peer pressure to sort of do what all the other kids are doing or whatever shoes or whatever brand or whatever type. I mean, that's at least how it was when I was growing up, you know, as the fads as they were, Um, you know, you want to be on that latest bandwagon. And typically when I've shopped secondhand, um, you know, you're usually like a season behind, so to speak. I mean, you're not in the, you're not in the in season because that would require buying something brand new. And so I just really love the example and this very powerful thing that you're doing, this modeling that you're doing for your children. And and of course they're young enough that they don't get to vote. So these decisions get to be made by mom and dad at this point, but just saying, Hey, listen, like this jacket, these shoes, they're, they're great. And they do what they're intended to do, which is cover your body and keep you warm and protect your feet. Um, But that we're not going to be out just chasing the latest fashion trend and then throwing it in the landfill to move on to the next whim or phase Um, I feel like, especially as these young people are just so much further ahead, I feel like, than our generation is in terms of the environmental consciousness, because it's been on their minds since birth for them. Um, You know, they're more urgent about some of these things than we adults are in many respects. And so it's just a really cool merging of just powerful modeling and example setting and just, you know, teaching them that there are other ways to do things. And at the same time, hearing you also say that you are not judging other people for their different decisions and that you're, you're modeling that for your kids too. So just want to gush on you as being an awesome mom (laughs) is what I'm doing. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. I, you know, I, I only judge you when you're idling your car in the bike lane. There you go. (laughs) That's when I really judge you, but everyone else is just, no. And even those people, they're just trying to get their kids to school. I get it. But yeah. Yeah. I mean, life is hard. You know, we're all we're all doing the best we can. That's right. But, but I also think there's a fine line, right? There's a line between just getting swept up in all that and yep. going along with that current and, you know, seeing the current, feeling the current, but saying like, hey, I'm actually going to try to swim upstream a little bit here. Yep. Um, that personal responsibility piece. Yeah. And so I try to find that balance and, and it can be hard. And I think there are arguments that can be made of like how much difference can one person really yep. make or one family. Um, 
I recently got to be involved in a Time Magazine study article where oh, they cool. followed three family, three or four, four families. Um, and it was a study of like families emissions. So how much carbon emissions a family creates oh, wow. in a week. Um, and it was really cool. I mean, it was, you know, they took into consideration, we tracked everything that we bought in a week. So it took into consideration how the impact of your shopping, whether that was food or clothing or airplane tickets. And then it also took into consideration your energy use and like, depending where you lived, you know, we have different energy providers. Um, oh, how so cool. That, that was fascinating and like really an honor to be a part of that. Um, and the, the article was really great. It was a couple months ago. So you, so you could still, listeners could still find it if they wanted. Yeah. But, um, the journalist kind of was, you know, making both arguments. Like, here's the things that you can do as a family that would really decrease your emissions and your your impact, and your environmental footprint. But then she was also saying, here's why it doesn't really matter what one family does. Oh. Because, you know, because we need bigger companies and like right. bigger entities to, to make these changes to really have an impact. Right. Um. But what I always come back to is that I think that being aware of uh, your personal impact on the earth, it just keeps you like grounded and connected to the broader issues. And so by making these choices about how much packaging you want your food to have or if you're going to bike and dr or drive and how many you know emissions that might put into the atmosphere – those individual choices then then keep your brain kind of tapped in to the broader political landscape and just reforms that we need. So then when it's time to vote or it's time to join a local committee, like you're kind of already aware yep. of, of those things going on. So that's where I think personal action matters and, and really can have an impact um, on your totally. life because it can inspire you to do those bigger things that really could move the needle, if you will. Yeah. Well, and I mean, I would love to read that article, so I will definitely include a link to that in the show notes as well. Um, I believe your house has solar, right? Didn't I remember mm -hmm. seeing something about yeah. that? Yeah. So yeah. I know you guys are using that to offset your electrical use and you know, the one car thing and your constant shopping, I imagine your emissions are lower than the average um, household in your neighborhood. But just sort of imagine the ramifications if 10 or 15 other families of four or five basically took on the same level of accountability that you guys do. Is it the same as some major industrial farming, uh, you know, organization and the changes they could make? No, but I, it's also, I think, incumbent upon all of us to do what we can. And, and so to that end, um, one of the topics I wanted to make sure I discussed with you tonight was when people maybe in our generation are just starting to really be like, okay, this, this climate situation, we're hearing about how the temperature, if it's not kept within a degree and a half in the next 10 years, we're all in trouble. Like we're at this tipping point where if we're going to try to reverse some of this stuff, it has to happen like right now, like 2030, we keep hearing consistently is a really like these next eight years. Um, a lot of people can have analysis paralysis. It can be big. And there are big changes like installing solar panels on your roof is definitely a big one. Selling a car in your household is definitely a big one. Um, 
as you started to embark on this journey and have been since you lived in Seattle, it sounds like, you know, there's a spectrum of small changes, big changes. What are kind of five or 10 of the low hanging fruit, if you will, that you would recommend that everyone try to incorporate as soon as they can? Great question. What can <laughs> Sorry, we- that was really yeah. long and run on too. No, I, I love it. And I think that that is on everybody's mind. I mean, I think people, more and more people care, more and more people are aware, more and more people want to do something. Um, vote. Definitely vote. <laughs> That's a great uh, one. Vote for politicians that care about these issues and see the urgency. Um yeah, I'm going to start with some of the the more politically inclined Perfect. stuff and then go to some of the more personal stuff. But Sounds great. I think get involved locally. Um, the the changes that can be made on a local level can really have an impact. I mean, Megan, you know this in terms of transportation. You know, transportation is huge, you know, at least a third, if not half of our emissions. So, yep. you know, advocating for changes you want to see um, in your own community can then really have an impact in terms of like what then your state is going to do and therefore what all the states are going to do. Um, so whether that's to be more concrete, you know, if you can't join a committee, if you can't speak to your city council, um, which you maybe could because things are on zoom so much more now. Exactly. Than so, you know, speak up at public meetings if you have the time. But if you don't have that time to attend virtual meetings, um, there's so many ways online to just click forms to email your representatives, email your senators, support bills, um, you know, email lists you can sign up for through environmental agencies that will just tee everything up for you. So it's right. super easy. Um, those things really have an impact. I mean, our our senators and representatives don't get as many emails as we think they do. So, you know, if they get 20 emails about, you know, some bill to, you know, I'm not even going to, there's so many things, but that's going to, you know, they're that's going to catch their eye and that has more of an impact than you think. Um, individually, like as a family or a person, eating less meat is one of the biggest things you can do. For sure. And, you know, you don't have to become vegan. You can just eat less meat, (laughs) you know, eat it as a special occasion, eat it when you really feel like it, you know, don't eat it when you don't really feel like it. And that has an impact. Um, Fly less is not something I ever want to hear. I love to travel. And so... You know, that's hard. But if you want to think about the individual actions we make that that really that's a put a one. lot of CO2 into the atmosphere, flying yep. is one. Um, so if, you know, you're going to Santa Fe and you could fly or you could drive, you know, road trips are fun. <laughs> so, you know, if you're going to Berlin, you probably need to fly. But <laughs> <laughs> True. Um yeah, I think, um, and then I think the other other big one, which we, Megan, you and I have been talking about, is just if you've got to run to the store that's half a mile away, mm-hmm. just wait until you have enough time to walk or bike. Like, you know, 
the the statistics are staggering with what is it like 50 percent of your trips in the united states are less than three miles yes so you know sometimes my mind I know, like we we do sometimes need to drive, and and I talked about that earlier. If my kids have an activity across the city, I drive them. But there are so many things that we do in our day to day that are close by, and we often just jump in our car because we think that's the easiest thing. Um, so I think that just trying to to you know, factor in the walk to the store is like your exercise for the day or, you know, your self-care by getting some fresh air, um, transferring some of your car trips into non-car trips really um, has an impact. And that's something that I think people, people should do because it'll make them feel good. I know. It's a win all around. Not just because they're helping the earth, but because being outside and moving your body feels good. Um, So, yeah, I don't know how many that was, but off the top of my head, those are the big things. And, And I said it with the vegan thing, but I think it's just important to realize you don't have to like be all in on all this stuff. Like you don't have to be like, I'm never going to fly again or I'm, you know, never going to eat meat again. Like just be deliberate, really think things through and say like, is this really important to me? And if so, then, you know, there's, there's no way we're going to live life without having some impact on the earth but we're all recognizing that we've had too big of an impact and, you know, we've got to try to find some ways to dial that back. <laughs> yep, exactly. Well, and on that note, I would love to hear a few of your just absolute go-tos, whether it's the refillable place where you take your jars for soaps and lotions, whether it's where you order your bulk food, whether it's like, this was the best book I've ever read on this. This is like my go-to book when I want to tell people more about this. What are some of your just absolute recommendations? Sure. There's a book called How to Be a Conscious Eater. Okay. That was published. I'm not remembering the author off the top of my head. It was published in the last year or two. And I think the author lives in Boulder, which is cool. So Figures. <laughs> um, it's a great book because it it brings together the environmental aspect of our food choices along with the health aspect. Okay. So it's like if you feel like you should be eating more meat because you need more protein, like here's some health study. You know, it, it kind of gives oh, a really – balanced view of the impact of our eating choices and in a really digestible way. So it's not pun, not intended, but, um, (laughs) you know, so it's, it's a quick read and like you can reference back to it. Um, I definitely recommend that book. Um, the place I order my bulk food is called Azure Standard. Um, and so they're kind of they're, they're based out of Oregon and they bypass the groceries. So you order directly from them and then they do drops um, at usually it's at a person's house oh, and they nice. do drops once a month. So I pick up my stuff for people who are in Denver. I pick up my stuff in um, Arvada once like I don't do it every month, but you can do it every month. Um, so that's a great way to get. Um, bulk foods. And like you said, Megan, it's, you know, they do a really good 
job about, you know, on the website listing the farmers that they work with and then like if things are non-GMO and kind of how they have their relationships with their farmers. So cool. Um, So that's really cool. And then, you know, for secondhand shopping, I recommend like, I have great luck at Goodwill here in the Denver area. There's a great book about Goodwill. Oh, yeah? Called, I think it's just called Secondhand. It's by Adam Minter. Okay. Um, making notes here. It is fascinating. And I can send you any of the stuff after Megan too. But, oh, perfect. Um, it is a fascinating read about the secondhand market worldwide and where not only where like our recyclables go, but, you know, all the Super Bowl shirts they made for the team that didn't win, you know, where oh. those are going to go. <laughs> <laughs> hadn't even thought of that till just you said that. Oof. There was an article about that today. But um, anyway, in that book, he he he's an investigative journalist and he looks into Goodwill and he feels good about Goodwill and the things that they're doing in the world. So cool. I feel good about Goodwill. <laughs> you know, nothing's perfect. No company's perfect. But right. um, I believe that Goodwill's doing a lot of good. So and I find good stuff there. Um if you are like me and you have a nine-year-old who wants to pick out a, you know, outfit, Thread Up is awesome online consignment because the stuff on there is basically new. Yep. Can hardly tell it's worn. And it's a huge marketplace where you can find. I mean, that's my go-to if I need something really specific. I actually, Megan, found a bunch of, like, fluorescent jackets for biking oh right on (laughs) so I just like searched by like yellow and looked for all the like bright color yellow stuff and it was pretty cheap because apparently that's that's not the most trendy item (laughs) although I think fluorescent might be coming back so we should watch out for that um so thread up is great um I love you know there's a lot of new Delivery services coming out, like um, Imperfect Foods is one where you can get produce that was maybe otherwise destined for a landfill or compost heap. Um, So that's a pretty cool one because they kind of list on their website, like why the produce is, you know, not fit for the grocery store. I was Um, just looking at their site the other day. It's funny you mentioned that. And they showed a couple apples that were like too small for market. Yeah. Uh, for supermarket shelves. And then they showed a loaf of bread in the bag that had just basically kind of been warped when it came out of the oven. And so it also was not marketable. Yeah. Um, so these foods are completely nutritious and fine. It's just that their appearance is less yeah. than. Yeah. So I love that concept. I know. I Yeah. I love shopping with them. I once got, I got some peppers, like some sweet peppers from them and they were like a red and green mix which they were beautiful I and bet. delicious, but you know, the grocery stores wouldn't take them because they weren't red and they weren't green. <laughs> so we don't like, know where to put these. We don't know which <laughs> price tag to put them. Um, so that's a good one. And, and again, like you and I were talking about earlier with, you know, shopping where you live is great. Yes. You know? Like the impact that it has to, to drive across the city is maybe not worth it if there's a, you know, pretty good store right next to your house. Um, 
So I think even that in mind is just, you know, thinking about what's available or what's, you know, on your way to another errand you're running anyway um, and trying to to just go to that place that's, you know, you're supporting somebody local. Um, one last place I'll mention too yeah. is um, Joyful, which okay. is the shop is in the, um, in the Highlands. Um, and that's a great refill shop. So if you want to take like bottles for, you can get all kinds of household like cleaners, um, shampoos, soaps, like anything you kind of use around the house. Um, and you can fill up your own containers there with products. Um, and I always recommend that again, you know, how much does that plastic bottle affect the environment? Totally. It's some, it definitely does, but it's just so much more convenient to fill up your own pretty jars with lotion than try to get that last bit of lotion out of like the plastic. Amen. One time during the pandemic, I bought like a plastic bottle of lotion because I like couldn't get to the refill market and like, you know, there you, it, it doesn't come out anymore and there's nope. like still two inches in the bottom and I'm like, what? what is happening so it's it's again it's just about making life easier in a different way than we're sometimes told life can be easy (laughs) you know I really hope that is the shift to your point about Seattle where parking is expensive and cumbersome and driving is is not convenient whereas cycling or riding was and to your point about the refill store I really do hope that that's going to start becoming the shift that we see is that if the environment itself is not the compelling choice, that convenience certainly is. And as we start to make these shifts towards um, maybe the lotion in the plastic bottle just becomes cost prohibitive, whereas the refill store now is not only more convenient, but also more affordable. You know, as we start to layer those things on top of one another, that starts to be the shift in the mass consciousness of choices that we Mm -hmm. make or Um, You know, if we packaged our animal products in ways that they look like animal products, like imagine if we sold fish with the head still on them instead of or these pretty little cut up chicken breasts that don't look like a chicken, um, which makes it easy for us to sort of forget where things have come from or our tuna steaks are all cut up perfectly. They don't look like a tuna fish anymore. We can distance ourselves from the reality. So I, I do think there's a lot of really cool shifts um, but I know you blog extensively about all this stuff. So what is the domain of your blog for our listeners? Is it deliberateless.com? Yep, exactly. Perfect. Exactly. Perfect. Yep. And so it's deliberateless it. on Instagram too. Yep. Awesome. Melissa, thank you so much for your time. Any um, parting thoughts or suggestions or a book or a saying or anything that you just really is on top of mind for you right now? Oh, gosh. I didn't prepare a fancy last <laughs> word. <laughs> um, I think we had a chance to talk about so much good stuff. I mean, I would reiterate what I said before is like, try to make good choices and, you know, figure out what's important to you and try to live your life in line with those values, but also be gentle with yourself when, you know, you don't quite meet that standard. Better to do something than nothing at all and better to just make incremental choices and decisions and changes rather than get stuck in that analysis paralysis stage is what I'm hearing you say. 
Completely. Yep. Yep. It doesn't have to be all or nothing. You, you do what you can and keep moving in the direction you want to go, even if I you love stumble it. a little along the way. <laughs> well, you're so inspiring, Melissa. Thank you so much for modeling such amazing life choices, both for your children and just as your family is out in the world showing how these things are possible. And thanks for, you know, broadcasting your experiences and your social media and your blog and taking time to be on the show today. And we will definitely include links to all those amazing things you just mentioned, including the Times article as well. I can't wait to read that. So we'll put all those in the show notes for everybody. And um, yeah, so thanks so much. I can't wait to just keep following along as you, as you in continue on this journey and as your kids get older and great yeah well well, thank you so much Megan I mean you do so much important work in this field too and I know how passionate you are about these issues so I really respect everything that that you are doing to further the cause and and to let me have a chance to talk about some of this it was really great to be here heck yes well thanks Melissa thank you Thank you for listening to Maximum Enthusiasm with Megan Hopman. Subscribe, check out our blog, and learn more at MaximumEnthusiasm.com.